0: Hello and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry and I have a, a wonderful talk in store for you. Um, have you ever considered looking at your life through the lens of the Angelus? Now, as Catholics, we're very familiar with the Angelus, um, with the Archangel Gabriel coming to Mary um, and asking her um, if she would... Be the mother of Jesus and uh, her fiat, her answer. And so um, I'm just so thrilled to offer to you today this talk given by Marika Zimmerman, who is a definitively and um, she's definitively professed Carmelite um, in the community of our Mother of Good Counsel. Um, secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio, and this is the title of her talk: "The Angel of the Lord Declared unto Mary: Our Vocation to Carmel Through the Lens of the Angelist." I think that you'll find something um, there to apply to your own life, and I hope that uh, you find it helpful. And let us turn it over to Marika. God bless. As Lynn said,
1: um, my talk is entitled, The Angel of the Lord Declared Unto Mary. And it's looking at our vocation to Carmel through the lens of the Angelus. And what's being passed out is the Angelus prayer. And on the back side is a little something from Teresa of Avila, which will be in my talk, and you'll, you'll hear that. And also, you may remember it from when we had our retreat binders. It was on the back cover. Carmelites love Mary and strangely enough, Mary is never mentioned in the rule of Saint Albert, the document that initially defines Carmel and its spirituality. Surprisingly, Mary is mentioned rarely in the writings of Saint Teresa of Jesus, Saint John of the Cross, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, and Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity, and Elizabeth Edith, Saint Elizabeth Edith Stein. Yet she's always present in Carmelite tradition, and her presence though somewhat inconspicuous, is fundamental. Carmel offers a Christocentric spirituality in which Mary plays a key role. The Carmelite celebrates his or her devotion to Mary primarily by means of imitating the Blessed Virgin. She is our role model, and that's why we often reflect in our meditation on the mystery of salvation from Mary's point of view why don't, why don't we reflect on Mary? We reflect on Jesus as Mary saw him. We often, but not always, approach the incarnation, for example, from Mary's perspective. What was it like for an angel to come to Mary? In what ways does God's angel come to me? What does it mean for Mary to say yes to God's request? And what does it mean for me to say yes to God's request? This month, on March 25th, the Church celebrates the Solemnity of the Annunciation of the Blessed Mother, an important moment for all people to recall what happened in the history of mankind. In order to honor the Annunciation throughout the whole year, the Church has given the faithful the Angelus Prayer. The Archangel Gabriel declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Mary accepts and declares herself to be the handmaid of the Lord. Did you ever think of looking at your call to Carmel through the lens of the Angelus prayer? The Angelus is prayed three times daily around the world at six, 12, and six. Down through the centuries, the bells atop our churches and chapels have loudly proclaimed this mystery, three times each day to remind us of our redemption. If you've attended Holy Mass at St. Joseph's downtown, you'll notice that the Angelus is prayed every day at noon before Holy Mass begins. There's no coincidence here, since St. Joseph is the protector of Holy Mother Church and the Order of Carmel. Our Holy Mother, St. Teresa of Jesus, in her way of perfection, also stresses the importance of praying the Angelus. She writes, If you would ask me what you are to do in order to be perfect, I would say first, do not lie in bed beyond the due time of rising. Give your first thought to God. Make a good visit to the blessed sacrament. Say the Angelus devoutly. Eat and drink to God's glory and say the rosary well. Be recollected. Keep out bad thoughts. Make an evening meditation well. Examine yourself daily. Go to bed in a good time, and you are already perfect. Saint Ter- Teresa tells us to pray the Angelus devoutly, so I've passed out a copy of the Angelus for all of you as an aid to this talk. I'm sure most of you already know this prayer and have it memorized. As we read in chapter one of Luke's Gospel, Luke one twenty-six through verse 38, God wished Mary, truly a mother of humility, to be the mother of his son our lord jesus christ he desired for her his desire for her brings to mind the line from matthew's gospel whoever humbles himself shall be exalted when mary calls herself the handmaid the servant of the lord in the angelus it is with inspiring humility and sincerity she thought of herself first and foremost as god's servant seeking glory not for herself, but rather for him. The Angelus prays tribute to a crucial aspect of Mary's role in the incarnation, when from Luke's gospel it says, be it done to me according to thy word. This wonderful event could not have happened without her consent, with what, without what is known as her fiat. By saying yes to God in allowing herself to become his mother, she showed us the ultimate example of trust in our creator. Do you ever think of having that kind of faith as too daunting of a task? Think about the ways in which God calls each of us in our daily lives. Do we say yes when Christ wants to work through us in showing his love to others? or when he asks us to be graceful in trying situations. Prayer and meditation on God's Word in Scripture can help us to do his will. Let us meditate for a moment on the Annunciation, how much light must have surrounded the Holy Virgin, what great mystery the Lord placed in her keeping. The coming of the Messiah was close at hand, and she who considered herself so little was to become his mother. What joyous excitement must have seized Mary in hearing the unbelievable. The eternal Son of God wished to become one of us. Let us ask ourselves, however, if this event meant only joy and happiness for Mary. Oh no, for well do we realize that the hour so long awaited for also included a prophecy of impending great sorrow. To be sure, at the time of the Annunciation, The Holy Virgin did not see the details and the events to which she was giving her consent. On the other hand, she was familiar with scriptural passages referring to the Messiah. At the price of extremely painful sufferings, he wished to redeem the world so deeply mired in guilt and sin. Then did not his mother also have to prepare herself for an ocean of sorrow? The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, Mary, greeted by God. Has God sent you an angel who greeted you and brought you a message? Who is it then who brings you messages? Is it perhaps an email or the mailman conveying news which might destroy all your life's dreams and happinesses? You learn that someone has robbed you of your honor or your good name? You may have lost your home, your possessions, or a creditor threatens foreclosure. Perhaps you've received news from the doctor about your health or word that one near or dear to you has passed. Perhaps you are beset with problems, interior and exterior, which makes life hard for you. Do not say that the good God never sends an angel to you, nor a message. Kneel quietly before God as Mary knelt and reflect that to those who love God, all things work together for their good. Is not your cross, whatever name it may bear, a greeting from God, a message from your father to you, his child? Does not the angel of the Lord, as it were, stand before you, as with Mary? He also awaits your yes. Your suffering has deep meaning ever since Christ died on Golgotha. He permits those he loves to share in his death, that they might also share in his glory. Together with Christ, we must suffer for our own redemption And for that of others. As St. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the Church. Little Carmelites that we are, let us bow gently under the hand of God and believe that it is God greeting you in your sorrow. And that is actually a message from heaven just as our blessed mother so with us she is our role model in this journey's faith in this journey of faith when the angel of the lord came to her she had to make a choice she leapt into the arms of almighty god with her yes her yes has borne fruit for all time she is our victorious queen And in a little way, each of us comes to the crossroad in our life and we are free to say no or yes to God. But since all of you are here in Carmel, it's safe to say that you have all said yes. And under the protection of our Mother of Mount Carmel, you will bear fruit. It's not always easy to know what direction we should travel. Our Mother helps us. To pray the Angelus on a daily basis is but a small act of openness to God's will. Through this daily disciplined practice, we will grow to be more open to God's will, and we will start to realize that in our time and our tasks are not more important than what God has in mind for us and our life. Through daily practice, this becomes the mentality by which we live. We become more open to the will of God each moment by specifically dedicating those times of day to prayer. Um, I'm not going to read through the Catechism because I think we're a little bit short on time. Okay, now I can read it. Catechism 484 through 486 The Annunciation of Mary inaugurates the fullness of time, the time of fulfillment of God's promises and preparations. Mary was invited to conceive God in whom the whole fullness of deity would dwell bodily. The divine response to her question, how can this be, since I do not know man, was given by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The mission of the Holy Spirit is always conjoined and ordered to that of the Son. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, is sent to sanctify the womb of the Virgin Mary. Catechism 486 The Father's only Son, conceived as man in the womb of the Virgin, is Christ, that is to say, anointed by the Holy Spirit from the beginning of his human existence. Though the manifestation of this fact, which takes place only progressively to the shepherds, to the magi, to John the Baptist, to the disciples, thus the whole life of Jesus Christ will make manifest How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Have you ever said to yourself, how can this be? Have you ever prayed to the Holy Spirit? In community, we do each time we gather. We pray the sequence prayer from the liturgy of Pentecost. And like our Blessed Mother, the Holy Spirit will come upon you too. This psalm prayer is taken from the Divine Office for March 25th for the Solemnity of the Annunciation. When you took on flesh, Lord Jesus, you made a marriage of mankind with God. Help us to be faithful to your word and endure our exile bravely until we are called to the heavenly marriage feast to which the Virgin Mary, exemplar of your church, has preceded us. For us Carmelites, the principal sign of our devotion to Mary is imitation. The Angelus reminds us more of who we should be rather than what we should be. And the outward manifestation of our Carmelite devotion to our Blessed Mother is the brown scapular. When we pray the Angelus with humility and love, we are emulating Mary's faith in the Lord's goodness. We are blessed in that we can ask both God and His Blessed Mother for their assistance on our journey towards eternal life. So I wondered, do we have any Carmelite saints with the name Angelus? And surprisingly, there is a Carmelite saint who took the name Angelus. St. Angelus, he was a priest and martyr and his feast day is May 5th. St. Angelus was born in Jerusalem in 1185 and his parents were converted Jews. At their death, he and his twin brother John decided to go for the Carmelites, uh, then issuing religious profession in the hands of the Superior General Maxim in the monastery of Mount Carmel in Palestine. Angelus is thought to have been one of the first Carmelites to return to Sicily from Mount Carmel, and according to long-standing tradition, he was murdered in Lacata during the first half of the 13th century. Acclaimed as a martyr, his body was placed in the church built on the site of his death and it was only in 1632 only in 1632 were his relics transferred to the Carmelite church veneration of Saint Angelus spread throughout the Carmelite order as well as among the populace Saint Albert and Saint Angelus and Saint Albert of Trapani are considered to be fathers of the order because they were the first two saints to have a cult in the order and as a result They are frequently found in medieval Carmelite iconography alongside with the Blessed Virgin Mary. So in Sicily, there are many places which have adopted St. Angelus as their patron, and the people there turn to him when they are in need with great love and affection. Thank you.
0: point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations
2: have an additional source that they can draw on, the the only source, and those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now, there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of uh, the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that quite frankly does not exist today not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us well and
3: I would say that you know, e- even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other and, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in in this way and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to to do that um, that that's a, that's a, a foot in the door is it not uh, for them to uh, enter the, the, the richness of contemplation in the real presence and and as you alluded to, the the power of that is 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 but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before, who might witness it for the first time. But certainly, if we were to keep that up, um, then uh, it, it it will be noticed, and it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves, twenty four seven, for the time that they need to be here. And and also, I think quite powerfully. Um, introduce a broader segment of our Catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the, in the way that they would like to, um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people, especially in the conferences, and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. um, uh, There's a particular immigrant conference that that, uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, But uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, uh, integrated into the prayer part of the spirituality of the society. For this simple reason, uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on, and so we want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside and that's where uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even uh, for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak uh, very uh, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many, many years, on the part of many in this area, to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here, I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord, but we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do, and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us. These treasures of the church will be with us until the Lord returns. And now we're being invited through this uh, um, initiative of 24 by 7 adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, Certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to... uh, Uh, make that available, and we hope if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area, and thinking too about how you uh, begin to engender a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that, of course, Michael stems all the way back to our our patron St. Vincent himself, St. Vincent de Paul, and so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the, the just the brief uh, you know, elevator speech history. Because many people associate the society's founding itself with St. Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, but I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well,
3: and isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the society nearly 200 years ago and when it was founded it was uh, with reference to a, a saint another 200 years before that so yeah. uh, it is you know initially I think of um, how the, the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way so um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is, is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students, uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who, who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was, um, in, their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart, and uh, they approached um, so, so, some particular daughters of charity, who, again, are part of the, the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself uh, to learn how to accompany the poor, learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so... Um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have um, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character in, in how we operate.
2: And Ozanam himself, being a late person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision Talk, talk about that part of it because that's so so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the uh, of the society.
3: Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a, a ministry. We're a two by two. Uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are quite literally in their homes and it's been that way since, since the beginning that's what the Daughters of Charity uh, taught Frederick and his companions um, on on how to be present to people how to minister to them how to be an authentic relationship with them um, and I think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about Poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic, um, two-way, real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them, that has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships, and the idea that um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to,
2: to gain for ourselves, other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent. We may come back to them, but because you left to that, I want to I want to uh, capitalize on that and. Um, just point out that the um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for St. Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original uh, society, not societies, but his uh, uh, the, the missions and the uh, Daughters of the um, uh, Daughters of Charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty, A- and he said. Um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially he would not uh, want any one of these foundations uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own Um, uh, members practicing that idea of poverty and it may have been material property in many ways of course it was for those who were ordained but uh, even from a spiritual standpoint he it it wasn't as you said you know we we give of our excess and and that which we have left we can think about the woman in the gospel of course that christ uh, points out to giving the 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 last of her uh, resources but um, here saint vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve and that's uh, the poor and and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues uh, because these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So, the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is
3: something that um, um, we. we we struggle with and in so much of our society today i i don't i i confess i don't know what it was like um for him and in his day but but i can say that um you know one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters for example who who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um who have um maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances. But many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here is that um the, the not everyone who comes here is in misery sometimes there's a quiet joy about them and it is in their simplicity it is in their letting go it is in their not being attached to uh too many worldly things and um you know many of them um frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility um but th- Simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we we of course are are yearning for that virtue in uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that. I can walk 100 feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, And that's a
2: powerful witness. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I I read some of the material from St. Vincent's history on him and how he implemented and, and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct other people's activities, but... You, and it seems to be uh, a pervasive throughout the organization, people want to be involved in the ministry. They want, to, they want to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in, in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. Right. And I think that's also part of it.
3: Well, and, and plus how we position ourselves, um, in that we are, we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity Uh, when when all their other networks fail when their when their family network fails their employment fails their shelter fails their food security fails um, you know we we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to we don't have barriers we don't have the complications of uh, you know the um, conditions that are placed on um, on, on loving others. That's what we're here for. And, and again, we're, we're known throughout the community for that.
2: Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly. The, the uh, interim ones, we would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness, of course, in this environment. That's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal. Zeal for the work. Say Say just a few words about that, if you would.
3: Yeah, that gosh, zeal is an interesting thing because, of course, um, uh, it's used a couple of ways, isn't it? It's it on the one hand, it's it's uh, used to describe passion. On the other hand, it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that that, uh, that that chase down their own designs on, on folks. But but I, you know, I I have to say that um, there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel, that really powers us to engage every day. And I see it in in our volunteers and our employees, and, and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, there, there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about um uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work um, uh, where they notice that, that we, we're just energized. And, and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit.
2: It has a way of drawing you in. I have witnessed uh, just in my short tenure here uh, people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said, People who willingly work 50 and 60 hours a week, you know, to support this ministry. Um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact, uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day, and she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was it was a passion, and it was palpable, and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging, and and uh, it's really something to, to hold. to to behold, and you do see the face of Christ in these people. And it it makes you want to be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the uh, the most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, There is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners. I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening. Uh, if you know of the St. Vincent DePaul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about, and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself, and you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood, and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears, to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice, speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet, walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands, to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with
0: you again next week, God bless.